what does a LGBT kid come to us needing most? The number one key is to know that someone supports them and that they're not being judged. So when they show up looking for safety, our reputation is the first thing that matters. Are we a safe place? What is the word on the street? Are they comfortable saying the letters LGBT, right? These kind of subtle cues that uh, kids pick up on tell them to what extent this is a safe environment for them. Welcome to Community Conversations, a podcast by ACH Child and Family Services. In this episode, a group of panelists from all corners of ACH will gather to candidly discuss how we care for LGBTQ youth in and around Fort Worth. LGBTQ youth are a vulnerable population, often susceptible to self-harming behaviors, homelessness, family and societal rejection, and other harmful situations. Our agency believes supportive and caring adults can make a difference in the lives for all youth experiencing abuse, neglect, and residual trauma. Stay tuned to hear how ACH works to improve outcomes for these youth. I often work with kids who, who feel like they are not good enough. They are not good enough for their family. They are not good enough for society. And so they've received these messages so often that it's created a really painful wound inside of them that really only love can address. A big part of what we do here at ACH is try to empower them. Welcome everybody. Um, my name is Kim Emery and I am the chaplain here at ACH and we welcome you today to our podcast. We're very excited about the topic that we're going to share with you today. We have several folks here from all different parts of our organization um, to share in a conversation about how we improve outcomes for our LGBT youth and the families that we serve here in Fort Worth uh, and throughout many other parts of the counties um, surrounding us. Uh, and they are Sean Allen, Angela Lewis, Renee Rodriguez, and Sharon So. What I would like to do though, just as we get started today, I think we would be uh, remiss if we don't take a moment to recognize the events of the last couple of weeks that have been going on, not just in our own community, but throughout the country um, that have left many of us that, that are involved in some way uh, in caring for children and families um, a little bit brokenhearted, uh, angered, and upset in many different ways. So a whole flood of emotions around that. But we, we know that that's a response to the injustices and the inequalities that still remain, um, so obviously remain in the areas that we serve and in most of the communities in which we live. So we wanna, we wanna be respectful of those who have um, in many ways given us a wake up call. You know, people like Mr. Floyd, people like Mr. Brooks, um, and even here in our own nearby Dallas community, Mr. Botham John and many others like them. Um, we hope that what their lives and the legacy they leave behind is to awaken us to, uh, to the kind of awareness we need so that these things don't continue to happen in our society. And so uh, that's important to us here, particularly in this conversation, because those type of situations are what really brought the awareness to us that we need to address this topic. And it's very, very important. Um, so I want to make sure that we just are mindful as we go along that these are still issues that many of the youth we serve particularly in the LGBT community, face day to day, every day in their lives. So, um, so we wanted to take a moment and just be respectful about that. And that there are many ways in which the issues that we see around racism and, 
many other things uh, intersect in a very real way with the kind of conversation we're going to have today. So, um, so thank you for joining us. I want to take a minute to let our panelists introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about what they do or how they came to, to join us here in this work at ACH. Sharon, would you like to start us off? Yes, of course. Uh, my name is Sharon So. I'm the clinical manager for the Youth Emergency Shelter here at ACH, um, and I have been with ACH for a total of nearly four years. Um, so at the Youth Emergency Shelter, I oversee the intakes and discharges, as well as the services that are provided to the youth during their stay here. Um, so I really oversee the uh, processes to make sure that our services accommodate that population, and I have the pleasure and honor of being able to be that frontline person of knowing what brought them to the shelter to begin with. Um, so we hear about the discrimination, the family conflict um, that they struggle with, and so uh, we know how to accommodate that specific child and their needs during their stay here, and it's my responsibility um, to make sure my team uh, discharges them back to a safe and stable environment with their family or with a safe adult that they've identified. Um, so I have a really fun role here at the shelter and I'm honored to be, to be on the panel. Thank you, Sharon. We appreciate that. And Angelos, would you please introduce yourself to us? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kim. My name is Angela Lewis. I am one of the trainers here at ACH. I train uh, new employees that come in to the agency and I also do refresher trainings which are a little more in depth than the orientation trainings. I've been with the agency about eight years now and I've held various roles including uh, in the emergency use shelter. I ran the safe place program for about four and a half years. So I've had a lot of exposure with the LGBT community, even personal experience. I myself am a out and proud lesbian. I have been for about 25 years so uh, that's given me somewhat of a leg up in assisting these youth that are that may be struggling uh, with their identity. Thank you, Angela. Absolutely. And Renee, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hi, Kim. Uh, so my name is Renee Rodriguez, and I'm the foster care and adoption uh, family engagement and placement supervisor. So I have a really cool job, I think. I've been working in child welfare for about 10 years now, and I worked in the investigations of CPS for quite some time in the child death unit. At that time, I saw a lot of crying, a lot of, of just sadness. So when I transitioned to here at ACH, and what my job is to find foster parents, good quality foster parents and adoptive parents that can care for kiddos that are in, um, in foster care in the foster care systems, or that are ready to be adopted, so I've come to a place where I see a lot more smiles now. And the reason this uh, subject and this topic is so important to me is because I also identify as LGBT, but we have so many kiddos in care and so many of our LGBTQ couples don't feel that sometimes the system is allowed for them to adopt or foster. I want them to know that they can because our kiddos need the love and our LGBT couples provide that love for our families. And once again, more smiles. Absolutely. What a, what a great aspect of your job, Renee. That's fabulous. Great. Thank you. And last but not least, Mr. Sean Allen. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to uh, be part of this uh, discussion. I am not myself uh, LGBT, but I'm a longtime ally. I've been working for ACH since 2011 uh, when we first started our LGBTQ committee at ACH. And I'd be happy to tell you more about that in a little while. 
So thank you to all my panelists. Um, I, I know that everybody is very excited to present some information and perspective on the work we're doing here with LGBT kids and youth. But I want to clarify what it is we mean when we say LGBT, because we use those letters often and we hear that maybe out in the larger culture often. But what, what LGBT includes is a community of people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. Um, and so we, we kind of, we touch on different issues with different youth, depending on where their needs are and how they identify themselves. But I thought it was worth a pause to, uh, to just clarify what those letters mean if you're not as familiar as maybe some of us who work daily with youth um, and families. One thing I would like to say is that our, our focus here at ACH with LGBT issues is really all about improving outcomes for the youth that come to us that identify as part of this community. Uh, and that's really important to us because what we know and what we have done uh, a lot of work on is researching uh, what we can know about LGBTQ youth. And so what we do know about the youth uh, from that community that come to us is that they're way overrepresented in our population here at ACH. Uh, and that's for a variety of reasons. But just to give you a little information so that you can kind of begin to paint a picture about what we know working with LGBT youth um, is that about 20 to 40 percent of the homeless population um, identify in some way as LGBT. Uh, that's a pretty large number. So maybe they were um, not welcome at home anymore because they they identified themselves in that way and that's not an unusual circumstance that we find here uh, at ACH. So let me give you some numbers. Um, and I think the numbers are significant because the numbers that I'm about to share with you are what really drew me as a chaplain or a spiritual care specialist into working on this, uh, on, on this particular issue and with this particular population of kids. Um, what we know is that LGBTQ youth are at much higher risk for bad outcomes and significantly bad outcomes. So highly rejected LGBT youth are eight times more likely to attempt suicide at least once in their lifetime. We also know that highly rejected uh, LGBT youth are three times more likely to become HIV positive or at risk for other STDs. Uh, they are also three times more likely to self-medicate using illegal substances. Those numbers are really significant. And those numbers, um, honestly, when I first came, uh, I'm not LGBT myself. But as I began to do work as a, a spiritual care specialist, I started realizing a pattern um, that a lot of those kids that identified as LGBT uh, experienced a lot of what we would call um, spiritual struggle. And so that's kind of what drew me into working with these kids, um, because spirituality in many ways uh, is about identity. It's about belonging. It's about feeling worthy of love, care, and support. And so many of our kids struggle in those areas. And so those are areas in many ways that I felt I could maybe help them uh, get to a better place so that the risk of, of those numbers I just shared with you is not so high. The good news and where the hope is, and here at ACH, we're always looking at where the hope is um, to be able to give that in some way or share it with our kids, is that there are still very simple things we can be doing to significantly lower those risks. Um, and I wanna share some of those numbers with you before we begin the conversation, just to kind of set the table a little bit. So what we know is that even a small reduction in rejecting behaviors lowers those risks, not by a little, but by a whole lot. Reducing rejection behaviors 
even a little bit, um, lowers the su suicidal possibility by, uh, by about 75%, which is very significant. Reducing rejecting behaviors, even down to a moderate level, lowers their risk of HIV or substance abuse in half. And because of that, it, we, we know now that there are simple things that we can be doing to affirm them and who they are and, and eliminate some of those risks for them so that they can have a brighter future. So I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on numbers. I would rather have some conversation from folks on our panel that experience uh, connection with, with the youth that we're talking about in the LGBT community every day. So I'd like to invite them into the conversation as we, um, as we start talking a little bit more about how we actually care for these youth and also the families that they come with or the families that they need to find um, for themselves. So Sharon and Angela, you, you two are direct care staff, have been direct care staff for many years. Um, so could you maybe uh, just share what you know a little bit uh, more in depth about what some situations in which maybe the LGBT youth um, that come to us seeking services, what maybe they would experience when they come to come seeking services with us? And Sharon, maybe because you're at the shelter day to day, you might have a very bird's eye view on that. Yes. So um, the most common situation that we see is family conflict um, and a lot of runaways and a lot of homeless LGBTQ youth come to us is rooted in that family conflict. My parents don't understand. Um, my parents aren't going to accept me. You know, Kim, like you talked about, teens already struggle with not even just teens, but kids in general already struggle with self-identity issues growing up. But then you add that family conflict on top of that um, with their parents who they feel that, you know, they should be loved the most by their parents. And suddenly, you know, there's this conflict and it's not that the parents don't love them anymore, but the child definitely feels that way, right? They lose that sense of belonging, that um, self-worth of being able to feel loved by their family. Um, so we see a lot of teens run away from home um, and we find them through Safe Place, um, which I know Angela can talk more about since she was uh, really the Safe Place guru for so long. Um, and a lot of kids who come here um, end up here because of that um, or just because parents kicked them out because they don't, didn't agree with how they self-identified. Um, so I would say those are the two most common situations we see uh, most frequently through the shelter. And Angela, you're now a guru. You didn't know that before. I know. <laughs> you know I've been called guru, forever safe place expert. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm following me the rest of my life. <laughs> it's an amazing program. So yeah. But yeah, to piggyback what um, off of what Sharon was saying, I think that it's important to realize the whole family is going through it, right? Because particularly in my program, I mainly dealt with the kids by themselves. So sometimes it was easy to just focus on what the youth was feeling and not what the family may be going through as a whole. Um, there was one time that I had a family and it broke my heart because the mother said, you know, I have a vision of what my kid's life should be like. And it's almost like the death of my child because now I'm going to have to reinvent how I see and hope for what my child will have in life. So you have to understand the family as a whole. And I think that's important. Um, that goes all to our mission, protect children, but also to preserve families. 
So I think that's something that we focus on very well here at ACH. And, you know, we do have some that come in in as if they're not lost enough, they're homeless. So how, how horrible is that? I even had a youth come in one time through Safe Place um, and she didn't have any shoes on. She came into our welcome center and I, we started talking. She identified as a lesbian. So we connected on that level. Um, we chatted for that about that for a while. And then I, I was like, where's your shoes? <laughs> Do you prefer to be shoeless or, you know, is this a preference? And she was like, you know what? I've been out on the streets for three months now. I came across a man. His feet look terrible. And I gave him my shoes. And I was like, God love this child. I mean, she's already going through what she's going through. And she still had the heart to give this man her shoes. So there's some amazing kids out there in the community. And I just, I'm glad that we're here to help them instill that confidence that they are lacking. Um, and also give them that support. I think that's the number one key is to know that someone supports them uh, and that they're not being judged. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we definitely instill here uh, at the agency. A big part of what, um, what we do here at ACH is try to empower them, right? We wanna empower them. And to be empowered, you have to feel worthy, welcome, loved, cared for. Um, and yeah, it is amazing that some of these kids are giving out of what they don't have to be that generous. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering before I kind of move too far away from this, what are some just practical ways in which, you know, the shelter or safe place, or once, once a kiddo comes onto our campus, what are some ways in which we indicate to them that we are a safe place? Because, you know, that, that's not something an LGBT youth can take for granted, right? I want people to know that there are some very specific indicators that we are welcoming and not rejecting. And I think putting that, that clarity to it for the audience we serve, you know, we can say this all day, but what does it sound like or look like to a kid when they come on board? Because those are the things that change the statistics, right? So what are some just practical ways in which we show them that, you know, that we do care and we are willing to receive them as they are? I can uh, speak to that a little bit. Um, it's something we've talked a lot about as an organization. Uh, you know, we talk about, do we put up rainbow flags? Do we put up symbols? So young people who generally have experienced uh, rejection from other social institutions, other helping institutions, are going to be skeptical, right? So when they show up um, looking for safety, if they show up, that's the first question is, do they even come to us? So our reputation is the first thing that matters. Uh, are we a safe place? What is the word on the street? Uh, and to the extent that uh, they're willing to come in the door, then they're going to be laying eyes on the environment. They're going to be looking at the people. They're going to look for those symbols, rainbows or other symbols. But even more than that, they're just watching the authority figures. And how do the authority figures uh, negotiate language? Uh, are they comfortable saying the letters LGBT, right? These kind of subtle cues that uh, kids pick up on uh, tell them to what extent this is a safe environment for them to reveal their true selves or, or, or be willing to uh, open themselves up to us uh, and tell us what's going on in their lives so that we can help them. Yeah, I, I, you know, building trust is something we all uh, are conscious of in whatever capacity we serve here. And, um, and yeah, sometimes we, if we aren't part of the LGBT community, we may not realize that that's not something they can take for granted. Anything you, you could add to that, Renee? 
as somebody that works on, you know, the, with families an awful lot as well? Absolutely. The way our, with foster families and foster kiddos that come into care, it's a little different than when they come into the shelter because when it's a foster care situation and we need a home immediately, it's more an emergency type. We get a call at three in the morning. We've got two kiddos. So we really don't know much about the kid. We may know ethnicity, gender, age, and that's it. Um, for example, this morning we just uh, placed two kiddos and we don't even know their names. So it's female and male at this point. So with that, I'm saying that we don't know if they identify as LGBT, but once we foster a relationship with the foster kiddo, what we do is we, tr we get our case managers try to get as comfortable as possible with them so that if they do identify, then we can start making sure that kiddo feels comfortable, safe in the home. And if it's a foster family that just isn't educated when it comes to LGBT issues or how to deal with that or how to support, then we as an agency step in immediately and, and we outline, this is what can be done. These are the services that we can provide. These are the services that are available so that that child does feel comfortable and home and loved in that home. Yeah, well, that's, that's the big thing we wanna offer, right? Uh, a loving environment because that's what creates some healing from the trauma that they all bring to us, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I would like to kind of expand on that a little bit, uh, Renee, it sounds like part of what you do with families is certainly provide some education about how best to care for some of our LGBT kids. Um, is there someone here that would like to, I know, Sean, you, you were one of the first to implement some training here um, for not just staff that work directly with our kids, hands-on, but throughout our organization. Can somebody speak to maybe how how we are conscientious about providing education to our own people about caring for LGBT kids. Let me take us back a little bit in time. Uh, so give us a little history lesson uh, back to 2011. And if you can think back to that time, uh, this was before gay marriage. This is before, I should say, a national gay marriage. That, that was sort of the divisive issue of the time. And it was really driving a lot of the conversation at the time. Um, there, were, there was a lot of social agitation and, uh, nationally. Uh, so really there were three converging factors that came together that really brought LGBT issues to light for us and uh, made us realize that we needed to develop a training, that we needed to focus on uh, our staff competencies when it comes to working with uh, diverse populations, including LGBT. I said there are three converging factors. So one of those was the societal change that uh, was happening uh, across the country that was uh, really driving the conversation. The other thing is uh, we received some very specific feedback from the community. We had a, uh, a prominent LGBT leader in our community who was a city councilman, uh, Joel Burns, who told us that uh, we didn't have a good reputation among LGBT youth at that time. The word on the street was don't go to the uh, shelter at ACH. It's, it's not uh, a safe place. So when we received that feedback, that was really a call to action for us. So that was a, uh, definitely an important uh, motivator for us because we wanted to create, our whole mission is to create a, a, a safe place for people. Hmm. So we really took that uh, feedback to heart um, and set about creating a culture change within our organization to address that. The, the third factor was cultural competency movement, uh, which was really gaining speed within uh, the child-serving community 
that we work with. So through our partnerships with Mental Health Connection and other organizations in the community, we brought in a four-day training uh, for our staff, uh, which was uh, really focused on um, the, this idea of cultural competency. And so that's the idea that uh, our staff, in order to help uh, our clients, the diverse population we serve, that, that we need uh, to be able to understand and relate to them to be able to intervene appropriately. So the culture is important. So it addressed culture of poverty, uh, culture uh, around race, uh, which was probably the focus of, of that training. Uh, and then it touched on LGBT. So the interesting thing was at the end of that four-day training, uh, we did a survey of the participants and we asked them of the different populations that you work with, uh, who are the ones you feel most equipped or best equipped uh, to work with and which are the ones you feel least equipped. So guess which issue rose to the top or I should say fell to the bottom uh, is LGBT youth. So the staff at ACH as well as in other child serving organizations consistently identified the LGBT population as the one that they felt most challenged by. They didn't know enough uh, to be effective. And so really those three factors together, the uh, societal change, the uh, cultural competency work in our community, and then that specific feedback we received, those three things created a perfect storm that came together uh, and really uh, drove our action at ACH. So we formed a, a work group, uh, we studied the issues, uh, we came up with specific recommendations. We really went through a, a very deliberate culture change as an organization uh, in order to uh, improve outcomes for this population. I'm hearing so much about how what we observe going on in the larger community brought us to this awareness, right? It, so we, we, we at ACH try to work in the community as partners. Uh, we, we don't get very far in, in asylum mentality. And so, uh, so a lot of what's going on right now, even in our culture impacts impacts the day-to-day -day lives of our kids. Um, and sometimes we forget about that or we just don't realize it unless we're looking at one of those kids face-to-face -face, or we're hearing about them or we come across information within our organization or on the larger community. Hey, Tim, I'd like to also talk about, um, in lieu of what Sean has said, I wanna almost highlight how far the shelter has come, um, even in a matter of years, on how we accommodate um, the LGBTQ youth in our services specifically and even in our structure. Um, so something that I'm very proud of uh, working at the shelter is that we've dedicated two single rooms specifically to be gender neutral for this population. So that when they come into the shelter, they have their own space, right? It doesn't have to be, well, I'm biologically this, but I identify as this. There's no question about it. You get your own room. You get to be who you are. Um, and when we first formulate that relationship, we, we start right off the bat. So as soon as they come into the shelter, we do an intake and we ask for sexual orientation and we then know how we need to accommodate. So our staff are really good about asking about what pronoun they would like to go by, right? And these are questions that these kids who come to us specifically probably have rarely heard from their caregivers, right? They've never been asked for their preference, right? You're just gonna be what I tell you. And I think we've had so many success stories at the shelter um, of kids saying, I wanna stay here longer. I feel loved, I feel cared for. I love that staff are open about how I feel about who I am. And 
um, even our questioning use of, you know, I wasn't really sure where I stood when I came in, but now I know I can fully be who I want to be. And I think those are the stories that really keep us going in this light. And um, even when it comes to groups and uh, anything service related, uh, we really allow them to identify who they want to be. Um, so if they want to go into you know, let's say we have a male who identifies as a female and they want to go into a specific girls group, we allow them to do so, right? We allow them to explore who they want to be. Um, and that is what drives our services and our staff and myself personally to really make sure our services are accommodating to this population because I've seen the smiles at the end of the day. Um, and so that's something I would love to highlight at the shelter of just how far we have really come over a matter of years. Sharon, yeah. thank you for saying that. Uh, it really has been a, a remarkable transformation and change over the years and, uh, to the extent that that um, uh, person who originally gave us that critical feedback uh, a few years later was uh, giving a keynote presentation at a homeless conference in which he featured ACH as being a, a model for uh, working with LGBT youth. So those are some incredibly wonderful examples of how we have implemented real change that, that we really believe affects how kids respond to us and allow us to give them the care that they, they come to us needing. Um, I had spoken before about what rejecting behaviors can result in in terms of the higher levels of risk. We, we really work hard with staff to, um, to address so that they are equipped with what they need to know. Uh, I'd be glad to speak to that. When we talk about LGBT rejecting behaviors, those are the uh, ones that you were indicating are associated with bad outcomes. What we're really talking about are certain behaviors we want our staff to avoid. So in our training, we, we talk about this. That uh, So examples of uh, rejecting behaviors would be use of derogatory language, right? So, so we really made a decision that across the whole organization, uh, we wanted to eliminate rejecting behaviors. So using derogatory language, blocking access to resources or friends uh, or other examples of rejecting behaviors, uh, religious condemnation, telling somebody that they're going to go to hell because uh, they're LGBT. Uh, so those are some specific examples. There's many more, um, including silence. Uh, we need to have the same dialogue uh, to talk about racial inequity in our outcomes. I, I think uh, I think that sums up uh, why the rejecting behaviors are so important and why we focused on that. Uh, it, gave, it gave our staff something specific that we expected. So a lot of our cultural competency training is about what not to do, as well as you know, understanding the basics of the culture and the lingo. But we also, we really want our staff to know, here's a list of, of behaviors that we, we don't tolerate. These are, these are uh, not okay at a child serving organization where uh, so many of the youth we serve are LGBT. What does a LGBT kid come to us needing most from us when they step foot on our campus, if they even are just thinking about seeking help? What I would add to that, I guess, is that we as an organization uh, had to make a decision about uh, where we want to be on the spectrum from rejection on one end, uh, acceptance in the middle, and celebration at the other end, uh, that our expectation of staff, um, regardless of their uh, personal values, is we want everyone to be accepting. And I should add that when we say accepting, that goes beyond tolerance. Um, you know, the word tolerance implies that you can be here, but um, 
and we tolerate you, but we don't necessarily like having you here, right? So acceptance goes beyond that. Acceptance is we see you for who you are, we acknowledge you, we affirm you, uh, and you're welcome here. The power of that for healing, trauma in particular, uh, is something we're really focused on here at ACH. I'm wondering if anybody could maybe speak to what does acceptance look like with kids that we serve? Because that's something that I think all of us have a human need for, uh, connection and belonging and a sense that you know we are okay as people. I can speak to that when it comes to foster care and adoption. When I spoke earlier about that we don't know how they identify when they come in, but when they do, um, we have a really strict and rigorous uh, process in which we evaluate all of our families that come to us. And before it was about, let's get, let's get families in here. We have a lot of kids, but now we really need to focus and we have been really stressing that we need to focus on quality families because what would happen before is families that so I'll take them, I'll tolerate that if, if they're gay. Um, we don't want that. What we want is accepting. You may not understand it. You may need some education or resources, but what we need is kiddos that are going to feel accepted in the home. And if you're not going to be a family that accepts a kiddo in the home, then quite frankly, you're going to cause more trauma to the child in that manner. So we really do need to find another agency is basically what we've done. Um, we've got to know because these kiddos have been rejected for so long with different agencies, different families. Our families at ACH, we don't do that. We accept the kid. We show them the love. And even if it's for a limited amount of time that they're in a foster home, during that time, we're giving that child the tools necessary to be able to deal with that trauma and then use those, uh, those tools later to be able to attach uh, appropriately with other people. And then when it comes to our adoption, our adoptive families and our adoptive kiddos, we also want them to know they're going to be accepted throughout their whole lives, that they're going to get a forever family, and that even if they were to come out at the age of 18, 19, that they're going to be accepted. So that's what our focus is, is making sure that those families accept, not just tolerate. Um, and that's something we value um, very deeply here is the core of everything we do at ACH, right? We're big believers in the fact that being loved and cared for can heal a lot of the wounds, at least to the degree that we are willing to meet them where they are. Uh, and I've, I've seen that a, a great deal in my work. You know, as a spiritual care specialist, I, I often work with kids who, who feel like they are not good enough. They are not good enough for their family. They are not good enough for society. They are not good enough for God. And so they've received these messages so often that it's created a really painful wound inside of them that really only love can address. Uh, so I, I, you know, I'm totally on board with the idea of being accepting instead of just tolerating. Um, you know, and I think most, most people of faith, whatever brand of faith you subscribe to, uh, know that tolerance is not enough. Loving people, caring for people, um, that's what's healing, and that's something that all of us need. And and I speak to that an awful lot with a lot of the kids that I, I meet face-to-face, um, -face, day in and day out. So I think that feeds into how do we get people educated enough, right? Because the basis of rejection is, is fear. When we reject someone, it's fear. It's not knowing. And I think that's where our training department focuses in 
on how important our cultural diversity trainings are and how important our advanced LGBT trainings are um, to address these issues, you know, and to offer our employees as well a safe space to have these conversations um, where they won't be judged themselves, but to kind of process through with them, you know, uh, why they have, if they have any type of uh, rejection behaviors or things like that because we want that addressed before they get into uh, assisting our families and youth. Sharon, is there something working in the shelter where you're with these kids day to day and the staff that work with them day to day? Any more you could add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I would say along the lines of acceptance is um, it's, you know, one thing I've noticed and it's continuously sad um, is how quick a child can go from feeling loved and feeling cared for to how quickly they'll move to no one cares about me anymore. No one loves me anymore over the simple fact. And I think that really hits a human cord is why they go to that extreme so quickly. Um, and so something we've seen and something our staff are really uh, good about is formulating that rapport, um, building that trust, building that relationship as soon as they come into the shelter and knowing, hey, we care about you regardless of how you present, right? We care about you as a human, as a child. We're here to care for you. And taking on that caregiver role to these kids um, really shines a light that not all people are the same there are people that genuinely care about that child. And it's our job at the shelter, I believe, um, when they come to, through our doors to show them that, that your one experience does not define everyone else in the world. And you are worthy of being loved. You are worthy of being cared for. And you are most definitely worthy of being who you want to be. And the people will love you regardless of their, regardless of how, they think others feel about them, right? And um, so I've, I've seen um, a drastic change in the kids from the start of their stay here at the shelter to the time that they have to leave us. Um, and the outcomes are always better. Um, and we do a lot of family mediation here at the shelter. Um, our counselors are really good about meeting with the families or identifying a safe adult for that child so that when they go back to a home environment, that it's one that they are either going back improved, right? Or it's one that is a safer one or a more loved one that they came from when they came to us. I'm, um, I'm also mindful as you, as you talk about that, you know, the work you do with families and, and helping to bridge um, either, you know, miscommunication or, or lack of education with families, that, that there are other um, organizations that we've partnered with in many ways um, out in the community uh, to help us do that once, they, that once they step out of our doors, right? Well, a, a couple of organizations I can point to that um, have been very important in our work and, and helped us in our journey are uh, PFLAG, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, um, and uh, we have a, a, a youth group in our community, LGBTQ Saves, um, both of which have been um, really good partners with ACH, and we send referrals uh, to one another. Uh, they have a relationship with our shelter, uh, and they sometimes participate in our training, and, and they certainly um, helped us develop the training. Before we unleashed the training on our staff, uh, we tested it with LGBT youth in the community, uh, got their feedback, and we also recruited some of them to help us uh, deliver the training. 
So those are two organizations that are very uh, important that I would point to. There are also some LGBT affirming churches in our community that have, have been uh, closely aligned with our work. So an important resource that we have internally is our AIRS department, and that stands for Assessment, Intervention, and Referral Services. Um, it's a lovely group of uh, callers. Uh, they're typically the hub of our agency. So whenever you call to our agency, they're going to be one of the first people that you come into contact with. And the importance for them with this particular conversation is they have many, many LGBT resources throughout uh, the community, um, even outside of the community, if, if you're not located locally. Uh, and that's how our agency partners with these other community agencies. Uh, they get on our list and we're able to refer out if it's not something that we can offer internally. Um, we can definitely get families and you to services that they need, um, regardless of the situation. So I think that partnering with these um, referral sources only builds the, the web. I, I think, Angela, you know, that just sort of um, helps us better understand that we, we work within the, a whole larger community, right? We're, we're one piece, but we try to offer uh, our families other options, right, of other resources that are doing wonderful work uh, that could be support for them as well out in the larger community. Um, which is important to us. And part of why that's really important to us is because when we first started doing some of this work, uh, some of those resources uh, were resources to us and remain that way. Sean spoke a little bit about that when he talked about PFLAG as well. So what I would like to do is introduce this, uh, this idea that many people, and even as I kind of go about as a chaplain, I, I get to touch base with people throughout the organization uh, day to day. And, and we still have a lot of our own staff that don't know. We have an LGBT work group um, that's very functional and very active um, within, uh, within our organization. The reason that work group exists is really simple. We exist to ensure that we as ACH are a welcoming place for youth families and staff that, that are part of our family too. We really did, uh, as I mentioned earlier, begin this work back in 2011. And one of the first things we did uh, was uh, we formed a, a work group that uh, really had two purposes at, at that point in time. Uh, first purpose was to research, uh, to read the research and understand how many LGBT youth we are serving, uh, what are the things that matter for outcomes, and what can we do to be a more uh, supportive organization of LGBT youth. And then the second thing that work group was charged with doing was making some specific recommendations for the organization. Now the composition of that work group, who was involved with it, so this was all ACH staff. Uh, and at this time when we were first talking about it, uh, we were very deliberate in, in uh, inviting people to be on that committee. We, it was very important to have a diverse group. So we wanted diversity in terms of structure within the organization. We wanted uh, people who were working in the trenches with clients on the front lines. We wanted some administrators. We wanted some executives and directors. And then we also wanted diversity in terms of uh, LGBT. Even though we had such a diversity of people with different belief systems, we could all agree that we wanted good outcomes for kids. And so really the, the outcome focus, I think, was very critical to us being able to move forward, to be able to say that these are some specific things uh, that we can do as an organization that will improve outcomes. 
And so, you know, we aren't asking our staff to change their personal beliefs, uh, but we are asking them uh, as part of their uh, professional obligation uh, to, to embrace our organizational values, which are about love and, and affirming our, our uh, youth. So th that's how it really started. Now, that was a long time ago. A lot has changed since then. So the committee today uh, is um, more specifically work-oriented, right? We're trying to do some specific things uh, to move the needle. So one of the big things that we're working on um, this year is um, getting some outside recognition for our work. So we, we're trying to get a stamp of, of approval from HRC, uh, the Human Rights Campaign, uh, that provides an all families, um, all, all, all children, all families, excuse me, uh, it's, it's, it's like a recognition, a, a certification, where they'll come in and uh, look at our policies and practices, look at all of the things we're doing, and if we meet certain standards, then we can get uh, different levels of recognition. So we're actively pursuing that right now. That's one of the activities our uh, committee is working on. Uh, we have others as well that um, perhaps Renee can tell us about. Absolutely. I think with um, the history of ACH and some of the sentiment around us being called all church home formally. Um, many of our LGBT couples in the community didn't feel that this was a safe place for them. Just like our kiddos didn't feel they could come to the shelter, our LGBTQ couples did not feel this was a safe place. And we've been working very, very hard to make the, or to change that. And we want our families to know that we are here to support them. In fact, this year, our adoptive parents of the year are a same-sex couple who adopted three most beautiful little kids that needed a forever home, and they're going to be featured on our website. They're going to be featured on different uh, media that we are going to put out because we want people to know that we are accepting. We love you. We need kids. We have kiddos, I'm sorry, who need love from families. It doesn't matter what the family looks like. So our call to action in the past few years has been let's get the word out that we are here for you now the thing I want to stress is that we are very accepting and we do accept uh, any um, any type of family and whatever that may look like and we're going to help you navigate through that so that you can be successful in fostering and also adopting a kid and providing that kid whether they be LGBT or not um, with a forever home and also um, the call to action is for foster parents who are out there who really do understand the trauma that our LGBT kiddos go through. We have many families right now, dozens that have specifically come to us because they know, listen, they're going to help us, they're going to educate us, and we are here if there's LGBT kid. They have preferences, and they can, they can say, we would really, really like an LGBT kid that has been rejected to be in our home because we're even though we not, may not be LGBT, but we're allies, we are gonna be a family, we're gonna provide love to a kiddo. So we have those families that are, are wanting to come to us just because of that, and we welcome them. Come one, come all, we need you because there are too many kids out there in our foster care system that don't have a loving family. And whatever that family looks like, we welcome them here, especially if you're gonna provide acceptance and love for our kids it just makes us smile, right? When we think about being able to provide an environment where um, not just the kids feel accepted, but, but any families that may wanna come and be able to offer a loving, safe place um, to, to, for these kids to call home because it's so elemental to, 
you know, to who we are as people. We all want to have a home and home is where we're safe and we're loved and people see the best in us. And I like to, I like to think as I go around the organization that um, people in our organization are very invested in making sure that kids have the message that they are loved and cared for. Um, and so, it, you know, we, we want everybody who, who's thinking about if they even ever thought about, you know, providing a home for some of these kids, you know, talk to us, right, Renee? I'm, you know, there are a million ways to get a hold of us. Uh, and and we, do, we do a good job, I believe, of giving parents the support that they need. It's difficult to parent. It's very difficult sometimes to parent kids who have been through so much trauma, but there are resources available here. Um, and, and particularly for our LGBT kids. And we've worked very hard at that because we know that sometimes they have been neglected in getting the services that they've needed, or they just don't feel that they deserve them. So if you want to be a foster or adoptive parent, and you want to be the difference in the life of one of these kiddos, uh, we are going to provide the website link in our show notes, or you can also call us at 817-886-7140 or you can email us at recruitment at achservices.org. Any of those will be a possibility for you to be able to talk to someone that can walk you through the whole process of becoming one of our parents that cares for our, for our kiddos. Thank you, Renee. And I, I want to thank all of our panelists today for joining us in this conversation and for uh, doing the kind of work you do to be able to make a difference in the life of a kid. Um, that's what we're all about here at ACH. I also want to thank uh, our producer, Kristen Victorin, who has helped us put all of this together. Well, we really want to thank Kim Emery for hosting this entire episode. We really appreciate your input and your guidance in facilitating this discussion. Um, and this discussion is a part of our Community Conversations podcast, which is brought to you by ACH Child and Family Services. Um, if you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And you can advocate for the children in our community by telling a friend about this podcast. We'll catch you next time on Community Conversations. <laughs> Again, from the top. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's all we got, Sean. That's all we got.